Hello there my friend and welcome to the Ayurveda and Psychology podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda and viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat, or go out for a nice walk in nature maybe. Enjoy. In this episode that focuses on psychology, I want to bring up a subject that is essential in psychology for each and one of us, but also, of course, interestingly enough, used in the Ayurvedic practice. I would say that in the Ayurvedic practice, it's not used with the same terms, and it's probably what we as modern people today of the West or whatever would call mindfulness, for instance. And it is the practice of awareness, but not only awareness. It is the practice of awareness and curiosity. Most of the things you do in your day are habits that you have practiced so many times that you don't need to remember them. We call this the automatic mode, or we also say that it's the subconscious patterns at play. Of course, the very typical example would be um, riding a bike, and it's even an expression, isn't it? It's like riding a bike. You don't even have to think about what you're doing, it's in your bone marrow, you could do it if someone woke you up at 3 a.m. It's just part of you. And it goes for all the routines that we have, from the moment we open our eyes to when we decide to switch off the light. It means that most of the things we do in a day, we do them without paying attention too much. It also means that when we are struggling with something that we want to change in our lives, it usually can be traced to one of those routines. So when we need to hone in on our habits because we want to change something, it is usually that what we really need to find, what we need to hone in on in them, is hidden in these treacherous pockets of information in between. I know that you are aware of many of your bad habits and that me pointing out that you need to focus on them doesn't feel very, let's say, um, new to you. But this is where how we process it changes everything. So let me take a couple of examples that we all have more or less of some less than others maybe, but some more than others as well. Things like eating the wrong things, or eating too much, 
or having addictions to bad habits of toxins such as smoking for instance or just the very common of drinking alcohol. You know that you're doing them but the reason that you're finding it so hard to just stop them is actually more linked to what you associate with them. Okay, So when you're doing these things it's just like the riding of the bike. It means that you're doing them automatically. You're not really very present or mindful, if you will. You're not aware that you're doing them. You're just doing them out of habit, of course. And the reason that you're doing them really is because you're seeking a feeling state that you have associated with them. And this is what we could call in the neurosciences, for instance, or just like behaviorism, a reward, right? So we have this thing called reward-based learning. It means that when we do something, especially in the beginning or even for the very first time, that we then turn into a habit, it is because the reward that we got from it was so thrilling to us. The value of the reward was so high. This means that even if the reward isn't actually so high anymore, it's what we've registered inside of us. And unfortunately, because the reward value actually kind of goes down, it will make us do it even more to keep seeking that first feeling of reward that we had. It means that if I eat the wrong things, let's say ice cream and cookies, just to take a very simple example that most people can relate to, I most probably were conditioned as a child with the festive context that usually cookies and ice cream and cake would bring. That means my birthday, it means any kind of festivities, Christmas, Easter, whatnot. It's more than even festivities or a moment. It's also the fact that very often when we were not very happy as children, we might have been given cookies and ice cream and cake in order to make ourselves feel a little bit better. More so even when we did something that was rewarded as a good thing to do, we were literally rewarded with cookies, ice cream and cake. So what you have to remember is that you have such a strong conditioning to the idea that these specific foods, or we shouldn't really call them foods maybe, but these things that, these um, comfort foods, let's call them that, bring such a high reward value inside of us that later on in life we keep eating them to obtain that feeling state again. And you know this quite well because it is usually when you are in a certain low that you will reach for these comfort foods. Or it is when you are having some kind of festivity that it will be perfectly natural 
for you to eat these things, even if you don't indulge in them at other times. So you completely associate a feeling state with eating cookies, cake, ice cream, sweets, sugary things and fatty things. Eating too much is also one of those situations because, well, I've spoken about this before and I will speak about it again, our relationship to mealtime in itself and our relationship to eating is far more emotional than nutritious. I have had conversations with people who tell me that they need to find a more varied meal plan because they get bored otherwise if they would, for instance, only eat the same thing all the time. Or if they would just eat, you know, what's considered healthy for them. We then misunderstand what eating is. Because eating is a way to fill our organism with energy so that we can function. Eating is actually not entertainment. You can use mealtime as entertainment for sure and I am absolutely not dissing the wonderful experiences of having a nice meal with your family, with um, the person that you love more than anything in the world or just to gather people around the table for this which is something that in many cultures is main occupation actually right in many even religious practices it is very much linked to a big festive meal at one specific day in the week or in the month or something like that around the year there's nothing wrong with that per se but when we have the habit of eating too much it is not because our body needs us to eat that much but it's because we have associated the high reward value of stuffing ourselves basically filling up a void that we're trying to fill because there's something else lacking we're using it as entertainment when we feel lonely when we feel bored when we feel sad indulging in a toxin it's the same thing there the very first time maybe that we smoked a cigarette it was to look cool Maybe when we were a young teenager or something like that. Maybe it was to show a certain image of ourselves to other people. Or maybe it was expressing a rebellious nature towards uh, maybe controlling parents when we're teenagers. Or moving away from home and feeling, I have the freedom to smoke inside my home because there's no one there who can tell me that I'm not entitled to do so and whether it's smoking or another toxin doesn't matter when it's very much that question of a feeling state of being detached of being free of being rebellious of not needing of not caring of other people's opinion these kind of things when that is the original reward that we got from doing it we will seek to do the habit whenever we need to feel that feeling again when we need that reward and drinking alcohol I'm not talking about alcoholics and I'm not talking about binge drinking even I'm just talking about that very socially accepted 
thing of having a glass of something. It is actually the exact same thing there. It is not so much the act of the drinking of the beverage as it is everything that we have associated to it. The relaxing moment, the complicity with the other people that we're having a glass with, the letting go of the week, all of this. And it's only really when we have taken the time to tap into what is it that we're really seeking when we're indulging in this thing, that we can not only decrease the reward value of it, but more easily then actually change the behavior. This is why awareness and curiosity are essential. When I feel the need to eat the wrong things, whether it's cookies and ice cream or whether it's having much too heavy food, for instance, for what my body can take, what would be essential for you in order to make something different in the future of this automatic mode that you are in when you're doing it is to become so aware of what's happening in the moment that you're noticing each and everything and you might even write it down. In the Ayurvedic practice, in the yogic practice, in a lot of spiritual practices actually, there is a whole ritual around eating and mealtime, which is really a question of deconditioning ourselves from these kind of behaviors. It's not necessarily new, these kind of behaviors, you know. It's not something from the modern day. It's been around for a long time. So there's a tool that I got from my teachers in Ayurveda, which basically we call the satisfaction meter, where we're noticing not only actually how hungry we are before we start eating, we're also noticing throughout the meal, each bite we're taking, how much we are filling the meter or not. And then noticing when we stop, that we are not stopping when we've eaten too much, but we're actually stopping when we're not really fully, completely full in our stomach yet. So that we're still satisfied with the meal and with the food. We do that because what happens is that we're using the two tools that break the pattern of automations. And it's the awareness, so noticing exactly, maybe even thinking to oneself, am I at zero of hunger? Am I at one, two, three of hunger? Or am I all the way up to nine, ten, for instance, let's say if the scale would be then on zero to ten. But we're also using curiosity because we're interrogating almost ourselves. We're questioning what is going on, how Am I feeling about this? What I've noticed is that myself, being an indulger in overeating for the biggest part of my life, not only did I notice that I would automatically eat less within just a days of starting this kind of practice, but I would also choose what I ate much more consciously because what happens is when I eat cookies and cake even though the first bite is full of dopamine 
expressions in the brain, feeling really good about it, when I've eaten the 10th and the 20th bite, what happens is that the stomach is actually signaling to me that it's not very satisfied with what's happening because actually there's too much of the fat and the sugar, which is absolutely not what my body needs. Not that much at all. And all of a sudden, I'm not feeling as good as I did after the first bite. And so it reduced my cravings. A famous, <laughs> maybe, um, example is an institute that works with addiction. And they would have people who wanted to stop smoking come in. Um, and they would make them smoke instead. They would not tell them to stop smoking at all. They said, continue exactly what you're doing. However, they were basically using this same kind of satisfaction meter as I was talking about the Ayurvedic practitioners does with food, but to the smoking. So it would be evaluating exactly each moment of the, I take out the cigarette, I put it to my lips, I light the fire and I take the first draft. Exactly what is going on and more so, how does it feel? How does it feel the filter in my mouth? How does it taste like actually? And what they noticed was that even people who were big time smokers for 20 years would within weeks reduce like consequently, their number of cigarettes in the day until it quite easily became almost none. And this was without the whole restriction and I feel like I'm depriving myself. It was a natural evolution of what they were doing because actually, newsflash, cigarettes taste quite horribly. It's not because they taste good that people keep smoking. I mean, even so, when you think about what's in a cigarette and how they try to cover that up with other things in order to kind of not taste so badly, of course it's going to taste bad if you're actually aware of it. So by using an extreme version, almost I want to say, of mindfulness, being very, very aware in each instant of what you're doing, and then more than that, being curious about what is actually happening in that experience, we're switching off the automatic mode, which allows us to access the actual experience of what we are doing. And when we do that, we become aware of the reduced value of the reward or the reduced intensity of the reward value. And because it's the reward value that we're so addicted to, since it's been reduced, it doesn't become so important to us anymore to indulge in it. It brings to mind the um, 70s movie of um, A Clockwork Orange, where they're using the Pavlovian principle of conditioning. So Pavlov, in case you're not familiar with the experience, was a scientist who conditioned his dogs to start to salivate as if they were looking at their food 
but simply by hearing a bell. So he had conditioned them into every time that they would see the food, they would also hear the bell. And after a while, they don't even have to see the food anymore. Just by hearing the bell, they salivate because they associate that with the food. And so that would be as a, a more positive reward, right? But you can also do this then on the negative side. So associate some kind of behavior with a very negative feeling state, which is what they're doing basically in a clockwork orange. And so without having to go into these extremes, this is exactly what we're doing ourselves just by being aware of what's happening to ourselves when we're doing it. It's the reason, of course, that people who all of a sudden are not so interested in going out binge drinking anymore can do that without it being a restriction for them. So the typical of hearing, oh, but you're no fun, you've got to allow yourself to have some fun, doesn't make sense to them because for them, they don't associate the binge drinking with having fun anymore. Actually, they associate it with disconnection from reality, inhibition of emotion, not really being capable of hearing what other people say and not really feeling themselves anymore. And more so, of course, the um, difficulties uh, the next day of not having had a good night's sleep, feeling the effects of the alcohol on your organism, and then just not being able to have a good day the next day. So they associate the drinking much more with all of those things because they're actually aware of what's happening to them. And all of a sudden, it becomes just so much more rewarding to do other things that makes them feel good. And it's the same thing then with the eating thing. So when you disconnect a little bit more that reward of I'm entertaining myself with food. And instead it becomes just this ritual where you're nourishing your organism with good things that it needs and that will make it feel good as well. Then what you're eating becomes much less important because you can actually appreciate and be entertained, if you will, in different ways. And in a certain way, I would say that just that simple exercise of using your awareness and being curious, you're creating the entertainment in that. So let's say that you're sitting in front of a meal that is the very basic rice and vegetables, for instance, that you've had for the past five days. From one perspective, that can be I'm not entertained because the food isn't all kinds of different sources and new things and, and experiences and this and that. But the reward of the entertainment would be instead, what is going on in this moment? How am I feeling right now? And how does this taste when I put it in my mouth? For the person who's never experienced this before, what I'm saying might sound, I want to say esoteric, like you probably feel like oh, I'm not sure that I would be that entertained by it. Well, you know what? Give it a try. Give it a try for one week with food, with any kind of thing that you indulge in 
that might not be beneficial for you, no matter what that might be. And even with the socializing drinking, experiment with it for one week just to see. And use a small notebook, a small one, because that way you always carry it with you. And you shall see, and I would be so happy to hear from you of what your experience was. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste. Mm-hmm.